Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining back here with us for our second part of our series, Hear Our Cry, really looking at this forgotten art and forgotten practice of lament. And last week, if you missed it, what we really looked at is how we need to courageously name what we are facing. And really, I encourage us all to use that kind of phrase to cry out, how can this be? How can this be and how can this be? And today, we want to continue on learning about lament and opening up this theme and this topic. And today, here's the big idea right up front, okay? That lament, it forces us into spaces of discomfort, okay? That's what I want to take a look at today. How lament really forces us into spaces of discomfort and forces us to wrestle with some sometimes unsettling, difficult, and even, as I said, tense things. And so I think we have realized this because what happens in lament is when people courageously share what they are going through, Sometimes this raises within us some uncertainty. Sometimes we hear voices that we might disagree with. Sometimes all of a sudden the easy answers we are used to just don't cut it anymore. Or to put it differently, here's what I think lament does and why it's so often not practiced in our day and age, is that lament challenges our preconceived ideas of things. That's what lament does. It challenges our preconceived ideas of things. And so today we want to take a look at this. We actually want to enter into some maybe unsettled spaces or some discomfortable spaces and actually to invite God to meet with us in that place. Because that's what lament is about, about courageously naming what we are going through and then finding God in that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue on with this idea of lament, but really seeing how lament can raise discomfort in us and how we need to learn to sit with it and to even embrace it. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Lamentations 2. This is our chapter we're going to be working through today. This is the poem we're going to be working through today. And I want to begin right in verse 1. So we read this. The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lies in the dust, thrown down from the heights of heaven. Listen to this verse, okay? It says this. In the day of his great anger, the Lord has shown no mercy even to his temple. Right? That the Lord has shown no mercy even to his temple. Right? Can we be honest with this? This is not a verse that people put on Christian greeting cards, correct? Right? This is no one's life verse. This is no verse that we have like painted and hung in our homes or apartments or whatever. Right? And I'm not mocking any of those practices because I actually have them all. Christian greeting cards, life verses, and verses in our home. What I'm trying to point out is, is that I think that especially in Western Christianity, is that we're not very comfortable with sometimes some of the darker themes in scripture, themes of like judgment and wrath and punishment, but lament raises this up. Because remember, what did I say we're taking a look at today? How lament actually invites us into spaces of discomfort. And that's what's going on here. All of a sudden, we're forced to reconcile with some of these themes of wrath, of punishment, of consequences. Let me continue, I wanna continue reading. And it gets just a little bit more brutal and raw and in some ways even unexpected. And you likely saw this if you read Lamentations this week. It says this, Without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Israel. In his anger, he has broken down the fortress walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He has brought them to the ground, dishonoring the kingdom and its rulers. And all the strength of Israel vanishes beneath his fierce anger. The Lord has withdrawn his protection as the enemy attacks. He consumes the whole land of Israel like a raging fire. He bends his bow against his people as though they were his enemy. His strength is used against them to kill their finest youth. His fury is poured out like fire on beautiful Jerusalem. He has brought unending tears and sorrow upon beautiful Jerusalem. So as I've often said, we can be honest in church, amen? So if we're honest, how many of us, this passage makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit uneasy in some ways. It makes me feel that way. 
Because when I talk to my kids about God, I'm going to tell you this. I don't turn to these passages, right? I don't turn to these verses. I don't talk about God bringing unending sorrow and tears. You know, I teach my kids about Jesus and his kindness and his forgiveness and his goodness. So what do we do, right? What do we do when the Bible speaks like this? How do we reconcile these things? Well, as I said, this is some of the discomfort of Lamentations, right? This is some of the discomfort that Lamentations invites us into, right? To try to reconcile some of these different pictures. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Lamentations, or lament in general, it never offers easy answers. But follow with me with this. It also never offers singular answers, okay? I want to say that again because this matters, right? It really matters. That lament doesn't offer easy answers. It also doesn't offer singular answers, Because this perspective that we're reading of the narrator, this is his perspective of sharing what God has done. This is not the only perspective in this poem. This poem actually raises other narratives, other opinions, other ways of seeing things. And that's what I want to take a look at too. Because lament is really not just about one point of view, but many. So turn with me and take a look at verse 11. We read this. It says this, And I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in their streets. They cry out to their mothers, we need food and drink. Their lives ebb away in streets like the life of a warrior wounded in battle. They gasp for life as they collapse in their mother's arms. I think that this passage reminds us, what did we learn last week? You can courageously name whatever you are facing with raw and vulnerable language. But did you notice something else in this passage? because it should kind of like stand out, even from last week. Did you notice how the perspective changed? Did you notice how the speaker shifted? Did you notice how all of a sudden we have moved again from what? The third person to the first person? So what we hear in the first few verses up until verse 11 is we hear the narrator in third person language defending God's actions as he sees them. That's important, that's what's going on. He is defending God's actions as he sees them. But then we hear another perspective. And here in this passage, in verse 11, we don't hear of God being to blame. We just hear of someone crying out to God. And then we hear another voice, again actually, in verse 13 and 14. I want to read it to you. It says this, And what can I say about you? Who has ever seen such sorrow, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I compare your anguish, O virgin daughter of Zion? How can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? And then listen. Listen to who this voice points out as the problem. It says this, it says this, your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. Just notice with me, who is it that this speaker, this voice, blames for the situation that Israel is in, that Jerusalem is in? Who is it? They blame clearly the false prophets, the spiritual leaders, for not leading appropriately, for being wicked to their core, that kind of a thing, leading people astray. So what we hear in the first few verses is someone saying God is right to do this. And then we hear a different perspective of someone saying, actually, you know who's to blame is the false prophets. And we actually hear other perspectives in this poem as well. I want to turn to you to the very end of the poem and listen to what is said here. And this, again, is raw, it is graphic, it is brutal language, but I think we need to hear it. This is how lament speaks. We hear another voice saying this, Oh Lord, think about this. Should you treat your own people this way? Listen to that question. They're actually complaining to God. They're questioning God's character. That's what's going on. Oh Lord, think about this. 
Should you treat your own people this way? Should mothers eat their own children, those whom they bounce on their knees? Should priests and prophets be killed within the Lord's temple? See them lying in the streets, young and old, boys and girls, killed by the swords of the enemy. You have killed them all in your anger, slaughtering them without mercy. Are you hearing the deep, dark, like, doubt and wrestling that's going on here? This person blames God for the actions. This speaker says, this is not right. This speaker cries out and says, this is not justice. So in the space of a few verses, what we start to see is that lament actually gives us different voices, different perspectives, different opinions on what is going on. In the first few voices, first few verses, we read of the narrator saying, God is righteous to judge in his way. Then we hear of people crying out to God and just saying, no. And then we hear people sharing, actually, of blaming the prophets. And then we hear someone else of actually blaming God and saying, this isn't right. So who are we to believe? Like, what's the right perspective? Is it the person who says, no, God is right? Is it the person blaming the false prophets? Is it the person who is saying that God is actually to blame for this and it's not correct? So who is right? The answer is, like, yes, really. Like, all of them, right? That in lament, each voice matters and each voice matters counts, right? That's what we need to start to grapple with. That's some of the discomfort that lament raises within us. It doesn't give us easy answers or a sanitized singular picture of things. Instead, lament what it does. Lament actually offers us not one voice, but a multiplicity of voices. Lament offers us actually more complex views, not less. So what we see in Lamentations then is actually a shifting picture and a shifting perspectives of many different people's viewpoints on what is happening in the midst of their suffering. Because this is just true. If you've ever gone through deep suffering or gone through something deeply difficult, like one voice and one perspective isn't enough. And instead what we see is multiple voices and multiple perspectives in this text. So we read of the perspective of kings and princes in verse 6, of prophets in verse 9, of elders and young women in verse 10, of children in verse 11, and mothers and wounded children in verse 12. And it goes on and on and on. Lament preserves multiple voices, not just one. Kathleen O'Connor puts it this way. She says, Lamentations is a book of shifting voices. This is why it can be hard to read. This is why it can almost seem contradictory in spaces. She says this, we can imagine the speakers gathered in a public place where they stand up, each in turn to tell their particular pain and demand God's attention. Each voice, she says, embodies some aspect of the suffering that belongs to the whole of the community. And this pattern of different voices speaking, actually continues throughout Lamentations. If you read it, this is why you will notice differing opinions and perspectives and narratives. And in some places, it becomes almost contradictory or it becomes so clear and so obvious. So what do we read in the first few verses? We read verses like this in chapter two. It says this, without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Jerusalem. He has destroyed Jerusalem without mercy, again in verse 17. But then in chapter three, do you want to know what we read? This is what we read. We read, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. It says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Like, these are almost opposite, are they not? Right? You can see some of the tension in these two different perspectives. And that's what we need to get, actually. That the Bible preserves different perspectives. And that lament actually doesn't resolve tension. It raises tension. That's what's going on here. Because in true lament, follow with me, you don't shut down voices. You actually make space for other voices. That's what you do. In true lament, you do not shut down voices or perspectives or opinions. You make space for more voices, opinions, and perspectives. The problem is, is that in Western Christianity and in the Western, you know, I would say culture in general, we don't do well with this kind of thing. 
We actually like people in neat little boxes. We like to know who is right and who is wrong. We don't do well with any discomfort or tension. We tend to deny it or run away from it or minimize it. This is why, for even some of you today, it can be uncomfortable that I'm raising all of these questions. You might be saying, but like, Andrew, who is right? How do you reconcile the love of God and some of the judgment and wrath we read about in these passages? Like, you might want me to fix this tension that I've raised. But guess what? That's what I'm not going to do that today. Because that actually isn't what Lamentations does. It actually forces us to sit with some of that uncomfortableness, to sit with some of that tension, to sit in the messy reality that life is complex. Because here's the truth. The Bible never, ever reduces or simplifies the complexity of life. It enters into it. It actually preserves it. It actually speaks to it. This is why in Lamentations 2, we begin with hearing of God's planning and righteous anger and all of that. We read verses like this. It says, the Lord was determined to destroy the plans of beautiful Jerusalem. He made careful plans for their destruction. He did what he planned, right? It presents God as having the ultimate plan with this. But then the verse ends, the poem ends actually in chapter two with asking us to doubt this plan. That's what's going on with raising questions, with raising wondering, with waging like discomfort and tension I've already read it, but listen how the passage ends. It says, oh Lord, think about this. Should you treat your people this way? Do you hear the doubt, the questioning, the wondering that the text is actually inviting us into? It says, oh Lord, think about this. Should you treat your own people this way? Should mothers eat their own children, those that they once bounced on their knees? Should priests and prophets be killed within the Lord's temple, seeing them lying in the streets, young and old, boys and girls, killed by the sword of their enemy, it says that you have killed them all in your anger and slaughtering them without mercy. Do you hear the cry of this person saying, God, is this justice? Is this really what you're like? Is this your character? Right? And what I want us to notice that is really clear is that scripture preserves both voices. Scripture preserves both perspectives. We read of the anger and we read of the questioning and we read of the righteous judgment. Scripture preserves it all. That the Bible does not shut down the voices, but gives space for the voices. So what does this mean for us? Well, what I think it means is that if we take Lamentations seriously, and you probably experienced this if you read it this past week, what it does is that Lamentations raises tension, it doesn't resolve it. That's what lament does. It really raises tension, it doesn't resolve it, and it invites us, follow with me, it invites us to discover God even in that tension and discomfort and messiness. That's what Lamentations and the practice of lament offers to us. But as I said, I don't think that we do this particularly well in the Western culture that we live in. As I said last week, I think we are addicted to success. What I also think is that right now we are living in the single like, most polarized time in like, recent memory. We have people who are just on opposite ends of everything, right? We have people who are you know, for masks and anti-masks. We have people who are for Trump and for Trudeau. We have people who are for climate change and against climate change, right? We have people who are for our new backdrop and people who also believe that wood should never, ever be painted, right? We have people on just like every end of every possible spectrum and topic right now. We are becoming increasingly divided. What we don't do well is to hold to tension with both of those things. And I think what is happening in our day and age and what is being lost is this, is that while we have become more polarized, what is becoming true is this, that we no longer see people as multifaceted individuals with complexity and nuance and made in the image of God. Now all we see is labels, that you're just a liberal, you're just a Trump supporter, you're just a whatever, fill in the blank. This is what is becoming increasingly problematic and really, really difficult and dangerous. Now we no longer think that our side is right. We also think that the other side is wholly wrong or evil or immoral or whatever, but lament. 
Lament pushes against this, actually. Because what lament does is it never settles for easy answers. What lament does is it doesn't try to resolve every disagreement. It actually preserves the voices, even from different perspectives. Lament shows us a different way through our polarized world that we live in. Lament offers us the perspective to listen to people even if we disagree, even if we are unsure, to actually enter into this. Soon Che Ra puts it this way. He says, the evangelical culture moves too quickly to praise from lament. He says, we do not hear from all the voices in the North American evangelical context. This is true. We often deny, minimize, or even do this. We yell over voices that we disagree with. He says, instead, we opt for quick and easy answers to complex issues. We want to move on to the happier message of success and triumph and cover up all the message of those who suffer. But the path of lament offers us a different path. It offers us a different perspective to actually just to sit in the discomfort, to sit in some of the messiness and the tension, to actually preserve different voices and to hear from them all and invite God to speak to us in that midst. So what is my main point today? My main point is just this, that Lamentations is about sitting in discomfort and listening. That's what lament is really about, and that's what the book of Lamentations is about. It's about sitting with discomfort and listening. That's what the practice of lament is all about. And really, if you've read this book or if you uh, follow through on that challenge this past week, you've done that. Because when you read Lamentations, what are you doing? You're simply sitting with the discomfort and listening to someone else's perspective, listening to their, what they're going through. That's what I think lament is about. Is it about sitting in the tension and sitting in the discomfort and simply listening and caring and seeking to follow God in the midst of that? And I think this is what we need in our world. I think this is what our world needs, spaces where we can lament and listen. And I actually believe this is what the church is called to be. I believe that the church is called to honor differing voices and to actually hear from other people and to deeply listen and to not just settle for quick and easy answers or to not just settle for whatever party's lines there are there. Instead, I think we're called to something different. I think we're called to the biblical, difficult practice of lament, which means sitting with different perspectives, even in discomfort, not resolving them, but simply listening. So what does this mean for us practically? How do we kind of live this out? Well, last week it began with courageously naming, right? And I think what courageously naming does is it does lead us then to sometimes spaces of discomfort where we hear something and we're unsure or can, we can disagree. So how do we move forward? Well, I think what we need to do is learn to actually sit with some of the tension and discover that lament raises. I think as a church, as a people, we need to get comfortable with discomfort, if we can put it that way. We need to get comfortable with discomfort. So how do we do that? Well, today, I want to give you three small steps to begin to can take the next kind of step with lament. Last week, as I said, we learned about courageously naming. Today, we want to learn about how to sit with discomfort, even in the space of lament. And so what I want to give to you is three small steps. They're sitting they are listening, and they are asking. I want to explain what they are and then share with you how I've at least sought to practice this practically in some spaces in my own life. So the first is just this. I think what lament raises within us is discomfort, right? That when we hear other voices or other perspectives, sometimes we get uneasy, we get, you know, a little bit unsure. But what I want to invite you to do is this, is that when you feel that, when you feel that uncomfortableness, when you almost want to run and hide or resolve it, here's what I want to challenge you to do, to just sit with that discomfort, to just sit with it. Just be present to it. Just listen and not deny it. And in many ways, that's what some of you have actually been doing throughout this actually a sermon right now. Because I know I've raised some difficult issues of what do you do when you have uh, differing perspectives in the Bible? How do you reconcile some things that are tense and sometimes difficult in the Bible? And as I said, I'm not going to resolve that for us today. 
Because I actually believe, intentionally, that we should be sitting with that discomfort and inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us in that space. So that's the first step, is just to sit with it. Second step is just this, is that when you encounter someone you disagree with, when you hear a lament that you're unsure of, when there is that just almost angst within, I want to invite you to listen deeper. To not just then sit, sit with it, but take the next step to listen deeper. Because what most often happens when we hear someone that we disagree with, and I bet that you can have experienced this, is you almost immediately start going into refutation mode. This is where you start to think about all the things that are wrong with that other person's perspective. But Alan Jacobs talking about this refutation mode, he says this. He says, in refutation mode, there is no listening. He says, moreover, when there is no listening, there is actually no thinking. He says, to enter into refutation mode, this is where we just disagree and we refuse to really engage with someone. He says this, to enter into refutation mode is to say in effect that you've already done all the thinking you need to do and that no further information or reflection is required. This is why I want to invite you to sit with that discomfort and then to truly listen, to not just say, why is that person wrong or why is this view wrong, but to actually deeply listen. I think that's what lament requires. I think that's what God requires. I think that's what we should be doing. Soon Chang Ra says this, and I think this is true. He says, what we surround ourselves with in our everyday and communal Christian life should reflect the commitment to hear the multitude of voices around us. This should be a Christian practice of hearing the multitude of voices around us. He says, the normative expression of Christian faith should arise from a life lived with hearing from a range of voices, experiences, and stories. That's how we're called to live this life, listening to a range of voices, experiences, and stories and that's what we see in the Bible. That's actually what we see preserved in Lamentations, right? All those differing voices, each speaking, each sharing, we should be listening to that. So I want to invite you to sit if you feel uncomfortable and then to listen deeper. And then lastly, I want to invite you to ask a question. And this question has been helpful for me when I start to get into refutation mode. When I hear somebody and I disagree and I just immediately start to be poking at them in my mind, thinking of counter arguments and having those things in my mind. The question I ask most often that's been helpful for me it's just this, when I encounter a voice or a view I disagree with, it's just this question. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. This actually actively moves us out of that refutation mode and into more listening, into more engagement, into a posture of openness. And I can tell you, I've actually been asking that question to the Book of Lamentations because as I've been reading it and been sitting with it, there are some perspectives in there that I'm like, I, I don't know about this. This makes me uncomfortable. I'm unsure. How does this line up with Jesus? Right? You might have had that experience reading this as well. But what I keep saying to scripture is then tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. I want to be open and learning. I think that's what lament requires. Lament requires that we enter into spaces of discomfort and simply listen. So what are my three suggestions? They are simple. They are, would you sit with the discomfort? Would you then listen in discomfort? And would you ask, tell me more? But practically, practically, what does this look like? Because I know that's theory. Well, here's how it's looked like in my life at least one specific place where I've had to learn to sit with the discomfort and to listen to lament. And specifically, I want to share with you some of my journey with actually listening and learning from those who are indigenous. So for me, growing up in Canada, uh, this is shameful to me now, but for me growing up in Canada, I honestly did not understand at all the plight of those who are indigenous. I would sometimes read of like blockades or I'd sometimes read of a call to give the land back or of mascots or schools names that needed to be changed. I honestly thought it was really silly. I thought people were just like, in, you know, too sensitive and should get over it. It's shameful to me now, but I honestly thought too that indigenous people didn't pay taxes and had housing. So I thought like, you know, you know, what are they actually complaining about? 
These are shows like the lack of awareness and ignorance that I had. And I can remember really struggling with some of this idea when people would say, you need to give the land back. And I would say to myself, but like, I wasn't there. I'm not responsible for this. How does this affect me? And what I realized is that going through having uh, degrees from three different schools, going through high school, I never learned our history as a nation and what we had done. And I would feel uncomfortable. I would just dismiss it. I wouldn't enter into it. I wouldn't really listen. I would enter into that refutation mode and not really engage and just sit with the discomfort. But eventually, I think through the process of the Holy Spirit, actually, that he started to really open me up to sitting with that discomfort a little bit more. And I started to just sit with it. And then I started to listen more and to learn more about what we have done to indigenous people. And it just started to break my heart. It made me so uncomfortable. It made me so ashamed in so many ways. Like, did you know? I remember the very first time I started to read firsthand accounts of what residential schools were. I didn't know anything about this when I read the firsthand accounts of how people were stolen from their families and how we actually treated and abused kids of how the goal of the residential school system, as they said, was to beat the Indian out of people. That was the mandate of these schools. And what I didn't know, and maybe you didn't know this either, but did you know right, that these schools were run by churches and by Christians? How as a pastor could I not know this? How as a Christian could I not know what we've done and what we've been involved in? And I remember with utter shock realizing that the last residential school, do you want to know when it closed? It closed in 1996. I was in high school. This isn't generations ago. This is now. And then I started learning even more and listening more. And it made me, it made me uncomfortable in so many ways. I started hearing the stories of the seven fallen feathers and how their indigenous uh, youth and especially indigenous women who are just going missing and nobody looks and nobody cares and there's no justice. I started learning about how today in our day and age, did you know this, that there are over a hundred indigenous communities that don't have safe access to water, that some of them have happened to be boiling their water for 25 years. Can we just agree with this? This is wrong. It's just flat out wrong. It makes you want to cry out, like last week, how can this be? How can this be? How can this be? But as I started to listen, I did feel so uncomfortable. So many times I wanted to deny my responsibility or to deny what I was learning or to turn away from it. But what was my third step? My third step was simple, wasn't it? It was to ask, tell me more. And as I started to say, tell me more to indigenous people, and I started to learn more, I started to hear a beautiful indigenous wisdom. I started to learn about the interconnection of all things. I had indigenous theologians point out things in the Bible that my Western eyes were totally oblivious to, that were so obvious that I couldn't believe I missed. I also did hear then more brutal stories, when I said, tell me more, of people who were denied their basic human rights, even here today in our world. And it really, really caused me to just say, how can this be? So for me, for me, this is one of those areas that have been sitting with that discomfort, where I've tried to be practiced listening to lament, where I've tried to practice these steps of just sitting with the discomfort, of listening and asking, tell me more. And here's why I think that this is so crucial and so necessary in our world, because without listening and lamenting, there will be no healing that without truly listening and lamenting, there will be no healing. We've tried so many other things in our world. We need to try this biblical practice of sitting and listening and lamenting so that healing might be found. So what does this all mean for us today? Here's what it means. That I believe that the biblical practice of lament is a non-negotiable of the Christian faith. That we need to be practicing this. We need to do this. And that what lament does is it raises discomfort for us to enter into. Right? That's the big idea from today. The main idea is just that lament raises discomfort and we need to listen in it. And then practically, what can we be doing? 
That means in spaces where we are uncomfortable, where we have some of that tension or messiness, we need to sit, we need to listen, and then we need to ask, tell me more. That's what I want to invite us into. Because I think we need more spaces, rather than when people are polarized, more spaces of true listening and learning together. I think this is what the church is called to lead in. And so what is my challenge for us today? My challenge is this. Would you practice this week sitting in discomfort by listening to a different perspective than yours? That's what I want to invite you into. That would you practice sitting in discomfort by listening to a different perspective than yours? I want to invite you then to practice those three things of sitting, of listening, of asking, of not denying the difficulty or not denying what someone is going through. Just sit with it and just listen. Because I think we need to become more comfortable with tension and discomfort. That those are the spaces that the Holy Spirit can live and move and shape us. So this week, I want to invite you to listen to voices that are different than you. So if you're white, that means listening to black, indigenous, and people of color. Right? If you're a settler, which means you're not indigenous, it means listening to indigenous voices. Here's going to be a hard one. If you're a liberal, guess what? It means listening and stretching and listening to conservative voices. Okay? If you're a conservative, guess what? It's going to be hard for you. It means stretching yourself to listen to liberal voices. If you're a man, it certainly means listening to women. And if you're a woman, here's my view on this. You've listened to men long enough, you get a pass on that one. That's what I think about that. I think we need to listen to different voices. I think we need to become okay with discomfort so that then there can be true healing and reconciliation, but it doesn't happen without first sitting in discomfort and entering into lament. So that's what I want to invite you to do, to not only courageously name what you're facing, but then to sit in discomfort and to listen to voices that are different than yours so that God might continue to, live, to move us on a path towards what he has for us of healing and of hope and of new life. So would you join with me in prayer today? God, I ask... Might you give us the courage to sit sometimes in these very uncomfortable spaces? Lord, would you give us the strength to not rush away, to minimize or to deny, but to truly listen to those around us? I pray, God, would we continue to listen to voices that are different than us? I pray, Lord, might we continue to grow in our empathy and our care and our compassion? I pray, God, would we have real openness to other people, especially in laments, so that we might hear the hurts and that we might see pass forward to reconciliation and to healing together? I pray, Lord, this week, might you continue to help to lead us in this. And might you, as always, fill us with your hope and your mercy in your life. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And as always, as we continue on this journey, uh, there's going to be some resources for you that you are able to use. Um, and there'll be a link online for us. I really want to encourage you to take this next step of sitting with discomfort and sitting with some uneasiness. And then next week, we're gonna talk about something that likely you haven't actually been shaped by, about how we are actually responsible for far more than we ever realize. I hope you can join with us for that. Grace and peace.